My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, at any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. On this episode, we're going to go a little farther than a tank or two of gas can get us. In fact, we're going to cross the ocean to Italy, and we're going to see one of the most unique cities in the world. Hold on, ghost town. We're going to see one of the most unique ghost towns in the world, and stare into the heaven-facing maw of the volcano that killed it. The destruction of Pompeii is one of the most infamous disasters in history, and it shows us how temporary our mighty cities can be. And then it also shows us how permanent they can be. Story morals are confusing. It happened this way. In 79 AD, just one day after Vulcanalia, a Roman festival dedicated to the god of fire, the volcano Vesuvius threw its own little fire party after hundreds of years of being just an interesting landmark. It destroyed a few cities, but Pompeii became its most famous victim. That's because of the size of the city, its extravagant culture, and really the fact that it was the easiest to excavate. According to the latest scientific understanding of how much of a jerk volcanoes can be, it's believed that the victims in Pompeii were killed quickly when a wave of 250 degree heat surged from the cone of Vesuvius, after which the volcano mercifully finished the job, or guiltily hid the evidence, burying its victims under scores of feet of ash and dirt and rock that rained for days. The end. It was Atlantis time for Pompeii. Except that the land is a less greedy invader than the sea. In the late 1500s, artifacts started being discovered in the area, but it wasn't until the 1700s and the discovery of nearby Herculaneum, another city buried by Vesuvius, that its rediscovery really motivated archaeological work to start in earnest. Today, this exhumed city is a train stop populated by roving bands of schoolchildren and tourists who cavort in its empty ancient residences and take breaks in its modern air-conditioned pizza cafeteria. Vesuvius wiped Pompeii off the map, and archaeologists and tourists wiped it right back on. To get to Pompeii, we made an early morning reservation on a train departing from Roma Termini in Rome and then enjoyed an easy three-hour trek to Naples. In Naples, we changed to the Circumvesuviana, the local commuter train, for a half-hour leg, getting off at the Pompeii Suvi stop a few steps from the entrance to the ruins of the ancient city. Since we weren't part of any tour group, we just wandered that corpse of a town at our leisure. We saw the colonnaded ruins of its temples, walked its stone-paved streets, jumped into random private dwellings to see the many remarkable and remarkably preserved murals, and generally just experienced how fascinating and a lot of fun the remnants of tragedy can be. It's big enough that you need to spend at least all day there to see everything, but also repetitious enough that a few hours is all you need to really get Pompeii. It's just ruined house after ruined house after ruined house. Still, how often will you get the chance to walk the streets of a 2,500-year-old city that's been almost completely preserved? So take your time. I mean, in Rome, you're only walking on the top modernized strata of many millennia worth of history. In Pompeii, you're walking through the original strata, almost as was. And you do so, and we did so, in the ever-present and ominous shadow of its killer and preserver. However, while we tripped over the large cobblestones of the city, 
Vesuvius hid itself within an apologetic aura of clouds. So we lost a bit of the drama of being able to see the dragon from the perspective of the dragoned. But it did make for some pretty cool pictures later on once we were inside those same clouds at the mouth of the volcano. We'll get there. We were in Pompeii for about half a day, and we basically toured it using our spidey senses. Highlights included the surviving murals with a hopeful moral that our art will outlive us, also the fully excavated amphitheater, which you can enter and stand in the center of like a Roman gladiator, or Pink Floyd for that one concert documentary back in the 1970s. My personal favorite spot was the brothel, with its stone beds and still surviving erotic art with a much different hopeful moral. Not because I'm a pervert, that's irrelevant, but because how many times do you get the chance to walk into a brothel with your wife and friends in the name of history and take pictures of each other in the name of tourism? Not very often, unless you live a much more interesting life than me. Of course, you can see ruined Roman cities all over Italy. Pompeii has more than that, though. It has bodies. And by bodies, I mean hollow human shapes. As compelling as it is to see the remains of the city, far more compelling are the remains of the people and the animals who live there. It is both sad and terrifying. What happened was, in excavating the city, workers would find human-shaped pockets of air where the body had rotted away and the surrounding solidified deposit had kept the form. Archaeologists injected hardening foam into the holes and pulled out the casts of the bodies in their exact final death throes. It's like the archaeologists time machine back and froze the ghosts of Pompeii the second their souls escaped. Very, very odd. They have quite a few of these foam forms on display, the bodies lying prostrate or covering their faces with their arms or hugging their knees. There's even a dog. Many more Pompeii artifacts and body casts can be seen at the National Archaeological Museum in nearby Naples and the various traveling exhibits that constantly traverse the world. There are apparently plenty of Pompeii bodies to go around. We left Pompeii feeling dusty and beat. It was a lot of walking, a lot of saying, look at this, a lot of wandering and wondering if we'd been down this road before, a lot of ducking down alleyways and into crumbling buildings to avoid duck and duckling tour groups. We just wanted to collapse into a train seat, shove our faces into exotically flavored gelatos, and then sleep the sleep of the not doomed. But we still had a volcano to climb. We all have this kind of genetic belief that the earth is on our side. We think of it as providing us with an abundance of food, water, and air, as protecting us from the terrifying death land that is space, as giving us plenty of materials for clothing, shelter, and Legos. We're made from its dust, and to its dust will return. We call it mother. We think of it as home. But then there are all those goddamned volcanoes. I mean, nature has a whole arsenal of disasters to throw at us, but nothing like volcanoes. These fiery cones spit the very life stuff of the planet at us, reminding us that we cling to an extremely thin film stretched across the surface of an indifferent globe. And we were on our way to Joe versus it. We took the Circumvesuviana back toward Naples, but got off halfway there at the Ercolano Scavi stop. From my research, I was under the impression that as soon as we stepped out of the station, we would be mobbed by tour operators, taxis, and shuttles offering us deals to get to the top of the national park that is Vesuvius. Instead, we found a small, dead-end parking lot covered in graffiti and one insistent guy in a leather jacket trying to corral anybody who exited the station into a small side entrance, colorfully labeled Vesuvio Express. 
Since we saw no other options and were under a time ceiling with our train reservations from Naples to Rome, we signed up and then waited as the guy fruitlessly tried to talk various disinterested disembarkers into joining the party. We paid him, I can't remember how much, and then about half an hour in a fight between the leather jacket guy and the van driver later, they gave up on maximizing the tank of gas, and me, my wife, and our two friends were finally loaded into our own personal van to go up a volcano. Vesuvius is hardly in a secluded area, and the base of the volcano was thickly urban. The way up Vesuvius itself was the usual cliche about international driving. Vertiginous roads, sideswiping tour buses, way too fast drivers, but we were variously distracted by the fact that we were driving up a volcano. Finally, we arrived at the dirt parking lot, located a little over half a mile from the crater. The rest we had to walk, or otherwise not get the chance to look down its streppy throat. We settled on our return time with the driver, bought tickets to the park itself, and then took off up the wide dirt path. Maybe it was because we had already spent half the day deadening ourselves by walking a dead city, or maybe it was the three previous days of walking all over Rome like it was burning, but that few thousand feet turned out to be a few thousand aching feet. The path seemed to be as vertical as it could be. I'm not saying we weren't passed by the elderly, small children and that one guy on crutches, because we were, but it was still a hard little walk. Plus, we could barely see 10 feet in front of us. I mentioned that Vesuvius was difficult to view from Pompeii because it was wreathed in a demure bank of clouds the entire time we were there. We were now in that bank. Clouds are strange things. Pretty as all anything when seen from the outside, terrifying as all get out from the inside. And now that I think about it, that's probably true of all beautiful things, like mountains and stars, the ocean, Hollywood celebrities. But as a result of the fog, the short wooden guardrails that line the trail almost as a joke just ended in nothingness. Finally, 20 minutes and a few minor ACL tears later, we ascended to the top, where we were greeted by a majestic tableau filled with gift shops and pagan hordes of schoolchildren. Also, a gigantic hole. Vesuvius was covered in the dark, clumpy, porous rock you expect to be the anchor outfit of a volcano's fashion palette. And although we were 4,202 feet above sea level, we couldn't see the view of the Bay of Naples or the surrounding cities that everybody proudly posts on their social media when they visit. Still, there was something special about visiting the volcano in a fog. Vesuvius grew out of the wreckage of a much larger pre-existing volcano called Mount Soma, the remnants of which are still technically a volcano as well. The complex is described everywhere on the internet as a volcano within a volcano, but you can't really tell that when you're standing on Vesuvius's lips. The interior of Vesuvius's cone descends about 750 feet, and you can step right to the edge. Along the rim, smooth, downward-pointing triangles of dirt and rock revealed the location of past rubble falls, while wisps of white cloud floated in and out, or maybe it was steam, I'm not quite sure. Inside the plugged crater was basically a whole other landscape, complete with flora. It was hard to judge the scale, so the few trees that grew down there could have been 3 feet tall, or they could have been 20 feet tall, for all I could gauge. What they couldn't have been, though, is more than 65 years old, because 1944 was the last time Pompeii erupted. It's still a live volcano. Even though we were closed in by vague whiteness on all sides, it was still an awe-inspiring sight, and worth all the effort to see both Pompeii and Vesuvius in the same day. 
Plus, we were rewarded with some solid shut-eye on the whole three-hour train back to our rented flat in Rome. Although I've barely tried in this podcast, it really is hard to convey the feeling of what it's like to walk through an ancient city that met its end so violently and so hauntingly, or to stand at the edge of the crater of a volcano that killed tens of thousands, buried cities, and is in general a weak spot on the surface of the planet. It's impossible to really absorb the full import of its place in geology and history and overwhelming to even try. I don't know. Every time I see one of the world's various wonders, it makes me think that the planet was meant for creatures with much more complex brains than ours. And that's probably why Mother Earth keeps trying to wipe us all out. All right, that's it for the sixth episode of Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. Come back for the next episode and we'll talk about a visit to an oddity that is closer to home. Something that's right here in the United States of America, but is still just as odd as anything you'd find in the most exotic corners of the world. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it around, rate it on iTunes, do all the nice things you do for podcasts you want to keep going. And I promise you, if you keep coming back, I'll do some special ones. I have some ideas for a few podcasts that might be a little bit more immersive and a little bit less in my basement. And remember, you can enter my world anytime you want at oddthingsiveseen.com. Thank you for listening to Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. 